Greet you this morning in the name of Jesus. It is good to be with you again. If my records are correct, this is the second Father's Day in a row that I have been here with you. Last year, I did not speak directly to the fathers. And this year, I wasn't planning on it either until last night around 11 o'clock, and I began to change my mind. And so I do intend to bring a message this morning to the fathers. I realize that most of you here are not fathers, and yet I trust that God can somehow use his word and the message this morning to inspire each of you in one way or another. I believe that the church of God today, now more than ever, is in desperate need of dedicated dads. Dedicated to God, dedicated to their wife, dedicated to their children, dedicated to the local church, and dedicated to building the kingdom of God. The church today is in desperate need of dedicated dads. How many times, and probably some of you have experienced this, you're in a position of leadership, maybe on a school board, maybe you're in the ministry or some other committee, and you're trying to work through an issue. And, And you're grappling with this thing, and you're trying to figure out the answer, and finally somebody speaks up and says, where are the fathers? Where are the fathers? If we just had dedicated dads, we wouldn't be dealing with this. And so my plea this morning, brothers, is it's time to stop playing games, to rise up and be the man that God intends us to be. I remember one time hearing Brother Kelvin say that oftentimes when we, when we preach to the mothers, we always applaud them and say what a good job they're doing and what wonderful people they're doing. But when we speak to the dads, we say, come on, guys, rise up. And that's a little bit what I'm doing this morning. And I guess I feel like I can because I'm with you. I'm one of you. And and everything I say this morning applies just as much to me as it does to anyone. And so I trust that the message this morning can encourage each of us as men, especially as young fathers, those of us who are in the thick of it. Some of you are in the thick of it even more than me. Uh, explaining father you have teenagers okay Um, but each of us need to rise up even you old men rise up and be who God has called you to be so that the church of God can go forward so a few disclaimers I've already mentioned one of them everything I say this morning applies to me as well I would love to be able to stand up here and tell you as Paul told the Corinthians follow me as I follow Christ. I wish I could be able to do that, but I think maybe it would be better for me to tell you, uh, to, to quote the bumper sticker I saw one time that said, don't follow me, I do stupid stuff. <laughs> Sometimes I get frustrated and I don't react out of love. Sometimes I get impatient. Sometimes I get too involved in temporal things and I run out of time to do the important things. And yet, I just plead with you, please don't write off the message because the message bearer has not yet attained. But let's learn together. Let's encourage each other. Let's let's talk about our weaknesses. So that's the first disclaimer. The second disclaimer is this. What I'm presenting this morning is ideals. 
I don't expect that you will perfectly attain these goals that I'm laying out this morning. But again, my challenge is, let's go for the gold. Let's aim high. Your child's soul is at stake. The kingdom of God is at stake. So let's aim high. We as fathers have a tremendous God-ordained responsibility to raise our children for the kingdom of God. So I've entitled the message simply The Role of a Father. And the question I would ask for you to consider at the beginning is what is the goal for your children? As you think about your child and you see your child growing up, what is your goal for that child? Is it that they would be successful in the business world? We all kind of want that. We like to see when our children succeed and, and they make good financial decisions and their businesses start to grow. We like that. Or maybe that they'd be popular among their peers, that their, their friends would like them, they'd, they'd be in the, the cool bunch. Or maybe that they would excel in athletics. And, and I understand if these things... When you see these things in your children, if, if they bring you a little bit of, of joy and, and happiness, I understand that. But if that is the primary goal for your children this morning, then what I have to share does not apply to you. Because the message this morning is for those whose greatest desire is that your children can be instruments that God can use to build his kingdom. That's who the message is for this morning. I think that our prayer for our children should be that that Hannah prayed. You remember the story of Hannah. Hannah knew what it was like to be on her face crying out to God for a child. Give me a child. And God granted that prayer. He gave Hannah a son. And after God granted that prayer, this is what Hannah prayed. For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, also, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. And I trust that's your prayer and that's your desire this morning. God has given it to me. God has given me this precious soul, this life. And so, as long as he lives, he is God's. Wherever God calls him, whatever God wants for her, whatever it is, that's what I want for my child. My greatest desire, that my child can be an instrument to build the kingdom of God. You can turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is where I'll be bringing the message from this morning. This is a fairly familiar passage, but I believe that it, it is a, a very powerful passage in considering how to raise godly offspring. Deuteronomy 6, if you look at the chapters preceding this one, Moses is, is looking back. Looking back over the journey of the children of Israel. The things where God had brought them from. From slaves in Egypt, through the wilderness, through the Red Sea, through the desert, and into the promised land. Moses is looking back. And in chapter 5, Moses reminds the children of the law that God gave to his people, the Ten Commandments. God gave it to him. He wrote it in stone. Here's what I want you to do. Here's the laws that I want you to follow. And then we get to chapter 6, and this is what we see. I want to read verses 1 and 2. 
Now these are the commandments. Remember, he, he was just talking about the law. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments, which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that ye might do them in the land, whither ye go to possess it. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God, to keep all his statutes and all his commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, which is thy grandson, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. So God had given them instruction on how to live. This is what you are to do. This is what you are not to do. And Moses now is saying, do this. God gave the instruction. God gave the plan. And it was up to the people now to obey that plan, move forward, and pass it on to the next generation. And the next generation. An ongoing thing so that the people would continue to follow God. So, how were they to do this? Well, God didn't leave them in the dark, and he doesn't leave us in the dark as well. Raising children can be a daunting task. Raising children can seem... It's a responsibility that, that, that seems to, to be overwhelming at times, and yet God doesn't leave us in the dark. He has given us clear instruction on how to raise our children. And so if you continue to look at chapter 6 here, that's what we have. Practical instruction on how to raise our children so that when they grow up, they will love God, they will honor God, and they will pass that faith on to their children. So I want to read most of this chapter. I'm going to read most of this chapter and part of the next one. And, and we could draw many, many points from it. I'm simply going to stick with three. Three points that I want to get out of here for us today. So, go now to verse 4. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon thy, uh, the post of thy house, and on thy gates. And it shall be, when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities, which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things, which thou fillest not, and wells digged, which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees, which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full. Now, if you were paying attention there, it's kind of a picture of what we have. Many, many good things right at our fingertips. Some of you have had to work harder than others for them. But most of us here have a wealth of blessing, a wealth of, of, of good things right in front of us, material blessings. And what did, what did Moses tell the people? Here's what he said, verse 12. Then beware lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt 
from the house of bondage. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shalt swear by his name. Ye shall not go after other gods of the gods of the people which are round about you. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you. Lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from the face of the earth. Now I want to jump to verse 20. And when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? Then thou shalt say unto thy son, We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and sore upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from thence that he might bring us in to give us the land which he sware unto our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is at this day. And it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he hath commanded us. And I'm going to stop there for now. I'm going to be looking briefly in chapter 7 later. But the first point I want to make, and we see it in verses 5 and 6, is this. Dad, it begins with you. Raising godly seed begins with you. Let's look at these verses. Verse 5. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be where? Shall be in thine heart. It begins with you. Don't expect your children to become men and women of God if you aren't. And some of you may have encountered that. I've encountered that with people. They want their children to turn out. They want their children to be good, but they can't let go of these sin, the sin in their life. They're hanging on to these things. They're glad when their children go to Bible school. They're glad when their children go to church, but they can't let go of sin in their own life. But, Dad, it begins with you. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. One of the first people to see your inconsistencies and your shortcomings will be your children. If you have children, I think you would agree with that. You've seen that. But men, we are ordained of God to be the spiritual leader in our home. We don't just teach truth. We must live truth every day of our life. It seems that so often we as men... And here again, if I point my finger at you, there's three pointing back at me. We as men get so occupied with temporal things, things that really don't matter, our jobs, our, our hobbies, our, uh, you know, the, whatever it is. We get so wrapped up in these things and we fail to be the spiritual leader in our home, the spiritual example in our home. Brother, what is most important in your life? What brings you the most fulfillment? What are you passionate about? Is it your job? Is it the pursuit of the American dream? Or is it the things of God? Your children know. What is it? It begins with you. When our children 
grow up. And they begin to read the scriptures. And they begin to read what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. And, and they begin to read the rest of the Bible. Do they say, oh, this is why dad lives like he does. Now I know. It didn't make sense. He was different from everybody else. But now I see. This is why dad does this. Or do they read the teachings of Jesus? Do they read the scriptures and say, now wait a second, that doesn't make sense. Because dad lives this way. And this is what the Bible says. You must be the spiritual leader in your home. You must be the example. A biblical example of this that I just want to point out briefly is that of Abraham. And we talked about Abraham in our Sunday school lesson today. But in Genesis 18, verse 19, God says this of Abraham. He says, for I know him, I know Abraham, that he will command his children and his household after him. He won't drive them in front of him. He'll, he'll command them after him. He's showing the way. He's leading the way and bringing his family along. And then God says, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. So Abraham is an, is an example of someone who loved the Lord his God with all his heart and he sought to direct his family after him. When God told Abraham, go to a place that I will show thee, Abraham packed his bags and he went. When God told Abraham, take your only son, the son you love, your promised son, and lay him on the altar, Abraham obeyed and he went. When God told Abraham, or God didn't tell Abraham, but Abraham realized that it was time to split the farm. This wasn't working. Me and Lot aren't getting along. It's time to split the farm. Abraham stepped up. He was the man. He was the leader. And he said, this is how we're going to do it. Abraham was the spiritual leader in his home. Yes, he made many mistakes, just like I make many mistakes, and just like you make many mistakes. And yet he was directed by God, and God took the children of Abraham, and created a powerful nation out of them. But Abraham directed his children after him. He was the spiritual leader. So that's the first point. It's, it begins with you. Be the man that God wants you to be. Second point, we must be intentional. We must be intentional. I see this for first. In verses 7 through 9. Verses 7 through 9. Moses tells these people. He talks about their practical ways. To teach their children the ways of God. He says do it. When you're sitting in your house. Talk about God when you're walking by the way. Talk about God. When you rise up in the morning. Put reminders around. Put things around your house. On the post of your gates. Around your arms, between the frontlets of your eyes, just splatter God everywhere. That, that's not a good term, but just all over the place. Put little reminders that your children will see these things and they'll say, what, did, what does that mean? And, and they may not even ask you at first, but in time, your son's going to come to you and they're going to say, Dad, what does this mean? Why do you do this? Why don't you do this? And then you can tell them. So it starts out here in verses 7 through 9. All these 
intentional things you do, and then we see the outcome, and I already spoke to it, going to verse 20. In verse 20, in time, your son will ask you about these things, and then you have an opportunity, and you can take your son, and you can say, son, let me tell you about what we used to be. We used to be slaves in Egypt, and, and now here's this son. He's in this nice house. He's got these nice vineyards. He's got all these things around him, the best food he can eat. But you take your son, you sit him down. Because of these reminders, because you were intentional, you have the opportunity to take your son and say, son, we were slaves. We were in bondage. We had no hope. We were were beat. We were worked so hard. And your son's going to sit on the edge of his seat and tell me more, dad. Then what? How'd you get to here? And you can tell your son, we hadn't, there was no way we could escape that God sent a redeemer. And his name was Moses. Oh, yeah, I remember Moses. And, and so you begin to tell about Moses. Now, Moses came and was an instrument in God's hands. And God used Moses. And, and you can tell him about these plagues in Egypt and, and how God performed these miraculous signs and the Red Sea parting and the manna and all these things, the water out of the rock. And... And God did this for us. And now, here's where God brought us. Here's what God's given to us. And your son's going to say, wow, I want to serve God. God must be powerful. I want that. Now, what that father told his son kind of sounds familiar with our story, doesn't it? We were in bondage. We were were slaves. We We had no hope. No way to be right with God. No way out of our slavery. And yet God, in his love, provided a redeemer. And he came and miraculously made a way that we could come out. And he brought us through the wilderness. And he brought us to where we are today. And he has promised us even greater things as we are faithful to him. We have the same story to tell our children. Are we being intentional so that we get those opportunities to set our children down? And then when that opportunity comes, do we sit down with them and tell them what great things the Lord has done for us? We need to be intentional. This can include the music you play during the day. This can include the pictures and the mottos that you put on the wall. This can include the books that you have on your shelf. The magazines that you allow into your home. The clothes that you wear. And the list could go on. All these little things that you're not telling your child anything. And yet you're, giving your, you're making an opportunity for your child to see something's different about dad. He's got a story to tell. He's passionate about something. I want to ask Dad about that. And then you can use that opportunity. Now, I would like to share two very practical things that you can do in relation to intentional child rearing. These are two things that I got inspired with. And uh, again... These are ideals. I've dropped the ball somewhat in my family. I haven't done it like I want to, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you about it and, and, and encourage you in this. 
The first one is Bible memory. Now, probably most of you here don't necessarily enjoy Bible memory. But some time ago, this was probably a year or so ago, I got inspired through a Sunday school paper, believe it or not. It was a story about a girl, and I don't remember the story exactly. I don't think I saved it. But there were several things that, she, that happened in her life. The one was she had an older brother, and this older brother had been very intentional with his money. And over time, he had saved up, starting when he was a, a young boy, he started saving up some money. And when he got a little older and he got married, he had enough money set back that he could buy a small house for him and his wife with this money he had set back. And this really impressed this little girl. And then as the story went on, her mother, and I forget how all this played out, but her mother memorized scripture. She would print off a couple verses and put them on her fridge, and every day she'd read the scripture. And one day her mother sat her down and told her that many years ago she started doing this. And I think it was two verses a week or something that her mother would print off, put on the refrigerator, and she would memorize these verses throughout that week. And the next week she'd put two more verses up. And this little girl started doing some figuring. And suddenly she realized, Mom's been doing this for, I don't know if it was 20 or 30 years. She's got like half of the New Testament memorized. And it really made an impression on this little girl. And as I read that, I began to, to think this thought that we often think when we hear things about like that. I began to think, I should have done that. I should have started that when I was young. But then I thought, well, why not start now and include my children? I have young children. Why not include them? And so I want you to consider this. If you and your children would begin today, and every week you would memorize one verse, just one verse, in just over two years, you could have memorized the entire Sermon on the Mount with your children. Do you think that would impact them? I think maybe it would. Or maybe you want to get real aggressive and do two verses a week. In just over four years, you and your children could have the entire book of Romans memorized. Just four years. Just two verses a week. A little here, a little there. Precept upon precept, line upon line. And you're training your children a little bit at a time. Not only would you be hiding the word of God in their hearts, but you would be teaching them a discipline that they would carry with them the rest of their life. Does anyone know? Someone tell me. What's the best time to plant a tree? In the fall. Whenever I think of planting a tree, I think the okay, somebody said it like this. The best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. <laughs> but then they said the second best time is today. Second best time is today. So don't tell yourself I should have done it. Just, just get started. The second thing I want to introduce you to is a catechism. Now, how many of you are familiar with a catechism? Wow, okay. Well, some time ago, my brother-in-law encouraged me to use a catechism with my children. Now, what a catechism is, is simply a series of questions and answers 
that introduce you, that, that teach our children or whoever's doing it the basic, basic principles of what we believe. And so this is the one I use. I found it on the internet. You could too. It's a catechism for young children. And it starts with this. Question number one is, who made you? And the answer is, God made me. And then the next question is, what else did God make? And the answer is, God made all things. And it continues on. This one has 138 questions and answers. And I have done this some with my family, not as much as I would like. But it's, a, it's an incredible opportunity, little by little, line upon line, precept upon precept, to teach your children. And so just, just think with me. I can have my little boy with me in the truck. We can be going to town, and I can say, so Caleb, who made you? And he can say, God made me. And then I can say, what else did God make? And he can say, all things. And we can just go down that list, little by little. And so I want you to consider this. Let's say you would start when your child turned three. And every week, you'd memorize one. Just one. Your child would learn a definition of justification, sanctification, and regeneration. They would know the Ten Commandments and what they mean, they would know that the three offices of Christ are prophet, priest, and king. They would all know all about baptism and communion and many other things all before they enter first grade. Now, again, that's an ideal. My oldest is going into fifth grade, and she has about half of it done. So understand. But, but understand the point I'm trying to make. A little here, a little there. Be intentional in training your children in the ways of God. The other option is just not doing it, and then they don't learn any of it. So, again, my challenge. One day they'll leave your home. What have you taught them? Now, I got a bunch of these printed off. When I came down here, I wasn't planning on preaching this message. I'm going to lay this on the table in the back. If you'd like to look at it, you're welcome to. If you'd like to give it to Norvin and tell him to print off a whole bunch of them, you're welcome to. Or... Um, you can go on the internet and get one for yourself. But I'd encourage you to consider it, especially those with young children. Start today and teach them these truths of Scripture, little by little, precept upon precept, line upon line. The third point I want to make then comes from chapter 7. I want to read verses 1 through 6. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, whither thou goest to possess it, and hath cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites, and the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, and the Havites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou, and when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them, and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them, Thy daughter shall not, thou shalt not give unto, thy, unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. 
so will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy you suddenly. But thus shall ye deal with them. Ye shall destroy their altars and break down their images and cut down their groves and burn their graven images with fire. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. So Moses is telling the people here, when you go into the land, get rid of the evil. Destroy the false gods and everything associated with them. Don't intermingle with these people on an intimate level. Don't do it. It will destroy you. That was the warning. And if you look at the history of Israel, Every time they disobeyed this, they were led away from God. When they failed to destroy the evil around them, they were led away from God. And so the point I want to make here is, fathers, guard your home. Guard your home. Now, I don't know how all of you believe, but I think most of us believe in non-resistance. And one of the biggest questions we as Anabaptists face when we're talking about non-resistance is the question, what would you do if someone would attack your family? You've heard that question. You maybe grappled with it. And, and, and the, the point is we can say all these good things about being non-resistant and loving our enemies, but in our hearts we kind of know that if I'm walking down the street and I've got my little boy with me and we're walking down and all of a sudden someone comes along and they grab my boy and they take off the other direction, I'm going to turn and I'm going to run after that man. And I'm going to lovingly um, <laughs> get my child back and say, this is my child and you're not going to take him. Now, I don't intend this morning to discuss that question. But what I want you to challenge you with this morning is our homes are under attack. Our children are being attacked. What are we doing about it? Do we care? Does it bring us to our knees? Because we see our children being snapped, snatched out of our arms. Fathers, you are the gatekeeper of your home. You are the watchman. What are you allowing into your home? I'd like to share an illustration with you. I, I think I may have shared this with you before, but it's a good illustration. I'm going to share it again. I was at a meeting one time, and the speaker had a PowerPoint presentation, and the first slide was a picture. It was a picture he had taken. It was out in his backyard, and it was a picture of a birdhouse. And this wasn't just a, a normal birdhouse. This was a very well-built birdhouse. It, had a, it looked like a house. It had a front porch. It had railing. It had shutters on the windows. It had a little chimney. It was just really neat. And up in the one corner, he had a text box. And it said, what comes to your mind when you think of a birdhouse? And so that was the question he was posing to us. And so people said things like uh, safety and security and shelter. Things that, 
you know, a, a, a nice, safe, secure place to raise a family, to raise a little flock of birds. And then the speaker took the text box away, and up in the corner, there was a big old black snake, just a few feet from this birdhouse. And it was a very powerful illustration of our homes. We build our homes. We make them secure. We want our children to be able to be safe there. We want our children to, 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 to have a place where they can come and they, can, they don't have to worry about the cares of the world. They don't have to be worried about the school bully or anything like that. They're secure in our home. And we, do, we take all manner of precautions to secure our home. We lock the doors. We put up security cameras. I don't. Some people do. They, they get a guard dog. They, they put motion lights and all these things to protect our home. But how often do we blindly bring the devil in the door in our pockets Amen. and through our mailboxes and all these things? You understand what I'm saying? We make our home secure and then we allow the devil right in the front door. It could be through a newspaper. It could be through a magazine. It could be through the radio. It could be through our smartphones. It could be all kinds of things. But we allow access to our greatest, the greatest enemy that we have, and we let him in our homes. Fathers, we are the protector of our homes. Are we doing everything we can to keep the devil out? I, I'd like to share an illustration with you, and I... I I say this somewhat hesitantly because it's, it's a, a father who cares deeply about his children, and yet he acknowledges a mistake he made. Um, I, I don't think he would mind me telling this, this account. He told me one day that he was going to get his son a smartphone. And I'm typically a fairly stoic person, but I think uh, even I, I let my emotions show a little bit and um, I guess as I was picking my jaw up he tried to explain the reasons why he was getting his young son a smartphone and he had legitimate reasons and then he told me about all the safeguards he had in place here's what he's going to do to protect his child and and when I when I questioned him a little bit he told me he said when you have teenagers you'll understand now, I believe it was less than a year later, at this boy's graduation, his peers had said a few things. They'd said a little bit about each other. And one of the things that this, his peers had said about this young man, they had noted the amount of time that he spends on his phone. And it was just a few years after that that this young man was addicted to pornography. Now, I still don't have teenagers, so I guess I still don't understand. But I trust that by the grace of God, when I do, I will have a strong enough relationship with my child that I can sit them down and I can say, Child, I love you so much. I care about you so much that we're not going to do what everybody else is doing. You are a watchman. Are you guarding your home? Another illustration I'd like to share with you 
some years, uh, actually it wasn't that long ago, maybe a year or two ago, a young lady, a young Mennonite girl, was abducted and she was eventually murdered. All of you no doubt knew about it. Her name was Sasha Krause. It was all over the internet. Many, many people were praying about this situation. And when we, when we finally found out the end result, what actually happened, it was devastating. It was terrible. And, and it left us asking a lot of questions. Why did this happen? How did this happen? And, and what can we do to keep it from happening again? All questions we should be asking. But there's a point I want to make here in relation to this story. From what I read about Sasha, I think we can be confident that she is eternally with Jesus. And yet, there are hundreds and hundreds of our young people who, because of their smartphones, because of their music, because of their associations, because of the things that we allow to be in their life, they're stolen out of our arms, drug away by the devil, and they go to a Christless grave. Now, what is the greater tragedy? What should bring us to our knees more? And yet it seems that so often we barely seem to care. It's just one of those things, we say. Everyone needs to make their own decisions, we say. And yet if we would be losing our children in farming accidents, in car wrecks, at the same rate that we are losing them to the world, we'd be beside ourselves. We'd be taking drastic measures to stop it. Again, I know this is very personal to some of you, and, and I, I, I say this very cautiously because you know what that is. And, and Lord bless you as you navigate that your, your situation. But my cry is, especially for those of us who still have our children in the nest, Let's be a watchman. There's a very difficult prayer that I have prayed in relation to my family. It's, it's probably the most difficult prayer I've ever prayed. And yet I mean it with all my heart. I would rather have a child die when he's young than have the child die when he's lost. Do we know where our children are at? Do we know what they're listening to? Do we know who they're associating with? And do we care enough about them to walk with them and love them and lead them in the ways of God. And in closing, I want to I wanna make one thing clear. I'm not just talking this morning about taking things away from your children and not allowing your children to do things. I think if all you do is take things away from your children, you might as well just give it to them because you're probably going to lose them anyway. But give them good music to listen to. Give them good books to read. Spend quality time with them. Encourage them to spend quality time with good friends. Let them go and be with their friends. I was talking to a brother some time ago. This is 
an, uh, an, older, an older brother, and he was telling me about his relationship with his son. He had a son that was probably in his upper teens, and he told me, this, this son had moved away from home, he was doing VS, and he told me, he said, we talk daily, or almost daily, and he said, we talk about life, we talk about purity, we talk about temptations, we talk about these things. And his son is a tremendous blessing to the church. So we can't just take things away. We must give our children good, godly things to fill their life with. So fathers, what do you want your children to become? We have a tremendous responsibility. It must begin with us. Let's be the men that God wants us to be. Let's be intentional in raising our children for God. And let's guard our homes. Eternity is at stake. Shall we have a song?